Last week, we finished up the whole shebang part two. If you've been with us, we went the whole year looking at different characters throughout the story, uh, throughout God's overall story. Well, I think there was enough uh, rhythm there for me that I wanted our Christmas series to look at the characters of Christmas. That's why it's called the original Christmas cast. So we're going to look at a few of the different characters in the Christmas story. And this morning, the character that we're looking at is Mary. My six-year-old daughter, about a week and a half ago, uh, asked me why God chose Mary. Why, why, why did God choose Mary? And so I said, well, uh, she was a, uh, a wonderful, uh, kind, young woman. And my daughter said, but there are lots of wonderful, kind, young women. Why Mary? And I said, well, because she believed very deeply in God. And she said, well, there are lots of kind women who believe very deeply in God. And then I said, whatever any good you know, seminary-trained pastor would say to their inquisitive child, I said, why don't you go jump on the trampoline? Because uh, I've I got I to think through this a little bit. I mean, why, why Mary? Why was Mary so special? Or in the words of Ben Stiller, there's something about Mary. And can we... <laughs> Can we figure this out together? I want, I want to invite you to think about Mary for just a moment. Just right where you are, just close your eyes. And with whatever uh, 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 data you want to access, what do you picture Mary looking like? What is she dressed like? What is her body position? What is her posture? Who does Mary look like? Okay, open your eyes. My guess is that most of you, when you're imagining Mary, you don't see a young gal with her head up, her eyes open, big smile, arms in the air like she just don't care. I mean, my, my guess is that you're not kind of seeing Mary as a, as a dancing gal, that for most of us, Mary is going to be pictured as a, as a uh, prayerful, kind of head down, kind of solemn uh, piece. And there's a reason for that, that Mary, we celebrate this morning, Mary's humility that the character trait that she has and that we can learn from and tap into this morning is that she was a woman of great humility. And I want to celebrate that this morning and see how that might apply to our own lives. Just a little bit of background information. Mary was young in our Christmas story. Estimated around 15, perhaps 16 years old. But this was, this was an okay age for her to be getting married. This, in that culture, that was appropriate. Uh, she was also about to become royalty. She was engaged to be married to Joseph, and we find in Luke chapter 3 as well as Matthew chapter 1 that Joseph was in the line of King David. So he was in David's line, so he was in, in the royalty line, which didn't mean that much at that time because that succession of kings had broken a number of centuries prior to that. And Rome was in charge and leadership of this area of Jerusalem, uh, of Judea, and the king uh, at that time was King Herod. We're going to look at his character uh, uh, in a few weeks uh, as part of this journey. So here we had Mary, Mary, and as a result, even though she was about to become royalty, she was poor. She was a poor, humble teen who had a deep faith in God. That's the young lady that we're taking a look at this morning. And we're looking at Luke chapter 1. If you have your Bibles, please turn there with me. Luke chapter 1 will be reminded of the story of Mary. 
The New Testament begins Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. So it's the third book, the third gospel in the New Testament. Luke chapter 1, beginning in verse 26. Luke writes, In the sixth month, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. There's another translation of this message, of this greeting from the angel that comes from the Latin Vulgate. The Latin Vulgate was the first main translation of the Bible from the original languages, and it was in Latin. And many of the early translations into other languages came from the Latin Vulgate. And from that translation, in English, this greeting from the angel was, Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. And that version might be more familiar to some of you. That is part of the Hail Mary prayer. And for others of you, Hail Mary is not just that long throw at the end of a football game. Uh, It is part of the Hail Mary prayer, which is the essential prayer, which is part of the rosary, which is part of the Catholic faith. And I know many of you have that tradition. So let's just take a moment and just among friends talk about that head on. Let's just kind of talk about that straight. Why is Mary so elevated in the Catholic tradition? We have to kind of enter into the minds of those who had to try to figure out theology in the first few centuries. Because we have the benefit of 2,000 years of of church thought, and those are the things that we get to think about, and they shape the way we see Scripture and the way we understand God. But in the first few centuries, they had a lot that they had to figure out. And one of the things that was difficult for them to figure out was, okay, Jesus came as a baby. This has never happened anywhere in humanity that God would show up in a form like this. Jesus came as a baby out of Mary's body. How could something perfect come from something that was not perfect? This was something they had to figure out. Okay, so how did this look? What did this mean? And their first run at it, or one of their early thoughts about it, was that Jesus, when he was born, was fully human, but he wasn't fully God. So Mary gave birth to the fully human version, form of of Jesus, and then God put the fully God part into Jesus after he was born. Well, there's no evidence of that in Scripture. There's no evidence of Jesus ever being human and not God, that he, he was 100% human and 100% God from day one. And so that didn't hold water, so to speak. Uh, the, uh, the, so the second place where they went to is that, is that Jesus was born fully God and fully human, and therefore the one who gave birth to him must be different she must be perfect. She must be sinless. She must be unique. And this led to the concept of immaculate conception, of Mary's sinlessness. Immaculate conception does not refer to the birth of Jesus. Immaculate conception refers to Mary's birth, that Mary was different and unique. And so immaculate conception means that Mary was immaculately conceived, that she was born 
of a virgin. That's what immaculate conception means. Now, the Catholics would say, we don't worship Mary. Catholics would say, we, we honor Mary. Many Catholics would say, we don't pray to Mary. We pray with Mary, and we come alongside Mary and pray for the things that are important to God. And many Catholics would say, you Protestants, you don't have uh, respect for the role of Mary in God's story. And the Protestants would say, la, 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 I can't hear you, la, 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 la. You worship Mary, it's idolatry. That's what, that's what Protestants say. Protestant, uh, Catholics read Luke one twenty eight as Hail Mary, full of grace, which lends itself to a little bit of interpretation problem. Full of grace. Does that mean Mary is the giver of grace or the receiver of grace? If Mary is full of grace, does that mean she is so full that she can give grace to others for centuries to come? Or is she full of grace because she has received grace from God? There's, a, there's an interpretation problem there. Protestants read Luke 1 verse 28 as greetings you who are highly favored, which is a little more clear in terms of the interpretation. One who is highly favored, one who is the receiver of favor, the receiver of favor from God, the receiver of grace. Catholics, in my opinion, have an over-appreciation for the role of Mary in the overall story. And Protestants have an under-appreciation, perhaps as a pendulum swing in response to the Catholic tradition, have an underappreciation of the significance and the, 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 the uniqueness and the specialness of the role of Mary in God's overall story. Now here we are, about 10 minutes in, and I've already offended pretty much everybody. <laughs> Isn't this fun? Now you've got to know my heart in this. I am not a Catholic basher. If you've heard me talk about Catholicism before, I have a tremendous appreciation for our history. The Catholic story is our story for 1,500 years. I have a tremendous respect for that. But there are things that, that they can learn from us and that we can learn from the Catholics. We are on the same team. We believe in Jesus as the Son of God and the Savior of humanity. Now, let me continue here. The story goes, verse 29, Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. You will be with child and will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the son of the most high. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? How will this be since I am a virgin? Now, when life doesn't go our way, when things don't go down the path that we would like them to go down, when we have that terrible conversation with our boss, when we get that terrible phone call from the doctor about a, about a test result, when things don't go the way we would like them to go, this is typically the way we respond, most of us. How could this be? Why me? How could this happen to me? Yet with the good things in life, often we expect them. 
We expect good things to happen because, after all, God is a good God. We expect them, and, um, and Mary has a very different response to the things of life, I think. What she models for us is that she says, how will this be? Out of great humility, she says that to something that's amazingly good that's happening in her life. Instead of expecting it, so, uh, this to happen, she says, how will this be? Help me understand. How will this be, she says. She says that out of humility to something good that is happening to her. Instead of just the why me about when things don't go the way she'd like them to go. Mary's response is beautiful. And it can be contrasted to Zacharias's response earlier in Luke chapter 1. Zacharias, we find earlier in this chapter... Uh, he, is, uh, he hears from an angel that his wife, who's been barren, is now going to have a child. That she's, she's, gonna, she's pregnant with a boy who's going to be John the Baptist, who's going to prepare the way for Jesus. And this is Zacharias, uh, Zachariah's response to the angel, verse 18, there in chapter 1. Zechariah asked the angel, How can I be sure of this? I am an old man, and my wife is well along in years. How can I be sure of this? There's, there's a difference between Mary's response and Zacharias's response. Mary responds with belief, seeking information. How can this be? I believe, but how can this be? Zacharias, in contrast, responds with disbelief and seeking confirmation. That's a different response. And what happens with Zechariah's story is that he is made mute by the angel, and so he can't speak until after John the Baptist is born. And uh, I know that for most uh, pregnant wives, that was, a, that was a pretty good call from God. And uh, many have wondered why God didn't institute that as kind of a regular deal. Oh, I'm pregnant, and then my wife's, uh, my husband's quiet uh, for a few months. That would be uh, kind of cool. But that's not the way God chose to do it with all of us. That's the way God chose to do it with Zechariah. But we can, we can contrast Mary's response of, of belief and humility with Zechariah's response. We can also compare e, uh, Mary's response here to our understanding of Eve from the Old Testament, from the Genesis story. In fact, this is one way that we, can, that we as Protestants, or that I as a Protestant, can underappreciate the significance of Mary in terms of the overall whole shebang story. Underappreciate the role of Mary in terms of the human response to the female gender. Prior to Mary, women were uh, often seen as daughters of Eve. In fact, that was a phrase that was, that was sometimes used. Daughter of Eve. In other words, the weaker gender. The one through whom sin entered the world. But God, through our Christmas story, allows this young teenage girl to be a central part of the story. Mary, as a strong, humble character, God invites her to be a central part of the story. And in a sense, says she is the new Eve. She is now redefining who women are, in a sense. This, this, this is huge in terms of, of, in terms of human history. 
that whereas Eve was saying no, Mary was saying yes. Whereas Eve was uh, bringing death, Mary was bringing life. And this had significant impact, tremendous impact, on the response of, uh, to women over the next few centuries. This shaped how women were viewed and treated throughout the Middle Ages. This theology of understanding the role of Mary as a part of uh, the history of the Catholic Church, it's called Mariology. What is her role? Who is she? That whole process elevated the female gender. And so instead of looking down on females as being daughters of Eve, women became elevated and celebrated and, and honored as daughters of Mary. And this actually led, within the Middle Ages, this led to this concept of chivalry. The idea of saying, women are the crown of God's creation. They are to be honored and respected and appreciated. And this we benefit from today. So let me ask uh, ladies here in the room. Do you feel like a daughter of Eve or a daughter of Mary? Do you feel like you are carrying the weight of your sin, perhaps even feeling like a less than in society, in your marriage, in, at work? Or are you feeling like a daughter of Mary who's highly honored and respected and appreciated? Do you feel like a daughter of Eve or a daughter of Mary? Let me read this again. How will this be? Since I am a virgin, Mary says. Let me just take a little tangent on the word virgin. Because the word virgin in our culture, and I'm not just talking about this year or in recent years, but over the past number of years, it's almost become a joke. Virgin. <laughs> He's still a virgin. 40-year-old virgin. Uh, movie comes out, and that kind of response to this whole concept of virgin, really? Seriously? Uh, we are supposed to be shocked by the Christmas story that a teenage virgin girl can give birth to a child, yet we're more shocked in our culture by a 25-year-old who's still a virgin. This is supposed to be shocking, not that. Let me just stay on this tangent for a moment. I read a, uh, an action novel on vacation a couple weeks ago. And just for pleasure. And it was a good story. It was a great story. And it, it, it a young woman and a young man were the, were, the, were the main characters in this story. And it was this really action-intense kind of week and who all they interacted with and the, the governments and all this kind of stuff. And at the end of the story, when they finally had some time alone, and you could tell there was a little bit of, of uh, you know, sexual tension that was happening in their relationship, when they finally had an opportunity to be alone and to talk and be together, after they had saved the world, they have their, you know, their little written version of them getting together and then sleeping together. And I, I was so devastated by this end of this pretty good book. And, and uh, I was just thinking, oh, why do you have to end it that way? Why do you have to go there? No, I'm not a prude. I understand American entertainment and that this is just the way it is and it shows up everywhere and that, that eh, it's doing it. Everybody's doing it. And, and high school and that's the way it works and college and there's affairs and there's one night stands and there's mistakes that we make and, and we're passionate people. And, and I, I understand all those things. But there was something about this story that really disturbed me. These are the main characters. These are the protagonists. These are the winners. 
These are the ones who've been brave throughout the story, the ones with moral integrity, the ones who have, who have solved this grand world problem. And here what they're modeling for us is now that we finally have a moment together, we're going to sleep together. And it's just ridiculous to think that they would do anything other than that. As I was thinking about it, it's like kissing the Stanley Cup. For those of you who don't know, the Stanley Cup is the treasured trophy of the National Hockey League. And when the, when the winning team wins the Stanley Cup, they raise it above their heads and they kiss it. It's just a tradition and it's said that there are no germs on the Stanley Cup. It's impossible to have any germs stick to the silver on the Stanley Cup. So they, they raise it and they kiss it. Now if we had the Stanley Cup about this big, if we had it right here in front of us, it would be shining silver. It would be a beautiful specimen. But it would be very wrong for me or for anyone else here in this room to get up and kiss the Stanley Cup. Do you know why? Because you don't play hockey. But I play hockey. And there are others here who do play hockey. But I still can't kiss the Stanley Cup because I never won the Stanley Cup. Just because you play hockey doesn't mean you've won the Stanley Cup. You're only allowed to raise it above your head and kiss it if you win it. Now, this tradition in hockey of raising it up and kissing it, it's a beautiful thing. Yeah, it's a beautiful thing, and they pass it to the next skater, and they go around. It's a beautiful thing, but it's only for those who've won the Stanley Cup. Sex is a beautiful thing. Yeah! There's kissing involved. I mean, you can see the comparison here. (laughs) Sex is a beautiful thing, but it is for those who have entered into the covenant of marriage. I know this sounds so old-fashioned and prudish. That was God's design from the beginning. It still is God's design. That the intimacy in sex is preserved for marriage. We're not supposed to have sex unless we win the Stanley Cup. You're not supposed to enter into that unless you get married. Okay, I know there's kind of a small audience for that particular tangent, but I felt like I needed to go there. Gone there. Now I'm back. Okay. Okay. See, I I wanted to take another opportunity to offend another group of people here in the room. So, equal opportunity offending. Uh, Let me continue, verse 35. The angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, the one uh, who's uh, uh, with Zechariah, who um, is going to give birth to John the Baptist, is going to have a child in her old age, and she who was said to be barren is in her sixth month. For nothing is impossible with God. And here's Mary's response. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May it be to me as you have said. Then the angel left her. This is where we get the picture in our minds of the humility of Mary. I am the Lord's servant. May it be as you have said. As ridiculous as this would sound to a teenage girl, may it be as you have said. She sings later on, In verse 47, My spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. And in verse 52, He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. Mary models for us humility. 
But I love the character of Mary because she is not weak in her humility. She's very strong. And as we read in verse 28, she is highly favored and she knows she's highly favored. She knows that. She says, let me uh, continue to read in verse 48. I read the first half. The second half of it reads, From now on all generations will call me blessed. For the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. Now some might read that and think that's the opposite of humble. She's saying generations will remember me and call me blessed. That's not the antithesis of humility. Humble is not thinking we're weak and insignificant. Humble is understanding where our strengths come from. And she makes it very clear. I will be remembered for generations because of what God did. What I love about Mary is that she has this combo of characteristics, highly favored and humble. What I think is the, is the most powerful punch in terms, of char- in terms of character is to have those two pieces. Confidence, which for her comes from, from highly favored and this other language that we see here in chapter 1. Confidence and humility. When those two things are put together, we pack a tremendous force in the kingdom of God. Confidence and humility. One does not negate the other. I had a friend that I worked with when I was in Cincinnati. His name is Robbie Ryder. He was and still is a tremendous guitar player and worship leader. Oh my goodness. And what I loved about Robbie is that as good as he was, he was that humble. Never came across as arrogant or cocky. Loved working with him the whole deal. Now I know you don't know Robbie, and so I was trying to think, is, is, there any, is there any example around here? Is there any, somebody you know who's gifted and humble? And I, I thought, and I thought, and I couldn't. Okay, I'm just kidding. That's Marsh. That's Marsh, and that's his band. Do you know how great these band members are? And they come out, and sometimes uh, players will say to me after a Sunday, oh, thanks for letting me play this Sunday. That's awesome. That's confidence, they're good at what they do, and humility saying, I know where this comes from. Confidence and humility pack a powerful wallop when they're put together, and that is Marsh. It's why I love working with Marsh. He's that gifted, and he's that humble. He'll tell me all the time how humble he is. <laughs> that, 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 is a, that, is a, that is a powerful, powerful combination. As we wrap up here this morning, we're going to have opportunities for you to uh, respond to God as we, as we have been doing for a number of months. And there are a number of opportunities here in the room, and they're listed in your program if you're new with us. But perhaps some of you uh, need to use this area in particular this morning to come and pray. Prayer is an act of humility. It physically bowing down. It means we come before God in humility. And bring something to him. Maybe there are some of you here in this room who need to elevate your confidence level. You need to understand that you are highly favored, that God does not make junk, and that despite how you might see yourself, what somebody might say to you, what the whispers of the enemy might be saying to you in terms of who you are, you have a significant role in God's story. Maybe your confidence needs to be elevated today. For you to understand you are highly favored, loved, pursued by God. Maybe others this morning, you need to 
elevate your humility just a little bit. Maybe with whatever success you are experiencing in life, in your job or at work, those are the same thing, uh, in your job, in your home, uh, as, a, as a father, as a, uh, as a wife, whatever success you might be experiencing, for you to understand that that's not because of your awesomeness, that that's because of what God's doing in your life and what God has provided for you. That's where humility comes in. It's confidence and humility. May we come today, either at your seat or if you want to go somewhere here in the room and just kind of respond and interact with God, saying, I want them both. I want confidence and humility. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for Mary's story, for her example, for her humility. Father, we we are thankful that uh, she came in strength, that she came understanding that she was highly favored, she came with confidence, and she balanced that with humility in a beautiful way. May we learn to do that. Father, I pray for uh, folks in this room who perhaps feel, as we've been talking about here in the context of Luke 1, perhaps some who felt like daughters of Eve, like sons of Eve, carrying around this guilt and this sin and this weight and feeling less than. Father, I pray that there would be a transition this morning by the power of your Holy Spirit. That persons in this room would feel like sons and daughters of Mary, the beautiful crown of your creation. That we would say yes, that we would, that we would move towards life rather than death. We come before you now. We want to interact with you and respond to you now. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.